Welcome back, everyone. Another week Taurus Talk here at SG Taurus. I'm your host, Matt LePan. This week, we have on another great guest from our friends over at Service Titan. It's Tom Howard, the VP of Customer Experience at Service Titan. Tom, welcome to Taurus Talk. Thanks a lot. Glad to be here. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about leadership in the trades and specifically the HVAC trade. Tom, before we get going on that, can you just give folks who are listening today a brief background into who you are, what your experience in the industry is, and how you got to your role as VP of Customer Experience? Sure. I I started in the trades when I was like 15 years old. Some guy came to fix my fridge and he needed a helper and I got a job. I was so excited, you know, after school and then worked my way through that and was on the East Coast working with boilers and air conditioning units. And then on ended up moving to the West Coast and went to college out there and things. And I started working on air conditioners and furnaces, primarily doing sales at that point. And eventually I ended up buying a company. It was a small company at the time, probably about 13, 14 employees. And we've grown to about, that was in 2011, 2012. We've grown it to about uh, 17 to 18 million in sales per year and about 73, 74 employees. And I purchased the rest of the shares from our partner. So I own the whole thing now. I should also explain. So I'm VP of Customer Experience Service. I, I have been using Service Titan since 2015. It's really helped our company grow. But about the past year or two, I was doing a lot of consulting and wasn't around my company a lot. I was continuing to grow and I had great leadership. And I was really excited about that. But Service Titan came to me and said, Hey, would you mind taking an executive position at Service Titan? I said, Sure, but I'd, I want to keep my company. And they said, That's fine. So I actually work full time at Service Titan. And uh, I oversee my company a couple hours a month. The company's called Lee's Air out of Fresno, California. And it has its own president and its own leadership team that, that continues to help it grow. So if there's anyone who knows what he's talking about, someone who cut his teeth on the East Coast before moving to the West Coast, someone who's worked his way through the industry and across the country. So Tom's an awesome resource to have on. And again, we're talking leadership. We're talking to the owner of a company who's worked his way up and bought the company. Now, Tom, like I said, you know the industry really well. You own a company, you run a company. What unique challenges do leaders in the trades, especially HVAC industry, face on a daily basis that, you know, some folks might not realize, like, this is unique to the trades? As all tradespeople know, we've got this labor shortage that really hamstrings us. So in a lot of industries where you've got this larger labor pool to pull from, you can run things the way you want it. And if, you know, the employees don't appreciate the way you're running it, that kind of thing, you have a lot of options. In our industry, it's this constant balancing act with basically desperately begging people to come work for you on one (laughs) hand, on the other hand, trying to enforce company policy and, and make sure that, you know, you're not leaving yourself open for liability. I don't think that people really appreciate outside of our industry how hard it is to get qualified talent and that once you have them, how hard it is to keep them around. So we spend a lot of time at at our company finding ways to make sure they stick around. The easiest way is just pay them a a ton more money, which (laughs) happens to also be the most expensive way and the quickest way to lose a lot of your profit. We try to offer competitive wages and price ourselves right so we can pay the best we can, but we spend a lot of time trying to make it feel like a, you know, team environment. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail. We try to find other perks like we used to give food away at the front desk 
and it was little, you know, rice crispy treats and things like that. And we thought, oh, they'll like this. And no one really said anything about it. No one's really excited about it. They just took it. They're ungrateful for it. <laughs> no one's ever happy that it was there. And one guy that I worked with, he actually later became the GM. He said, hey, um, they're selling a vending machine over here. And bought a vending machine and we put the Rice Krispie treats and stuff like that into the vending machine. And we made the vending machine free. So whatever button you push, it just came out. And he said, maybe we should take out the, the prices because it's all free now. I said, no, 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 leave them in so they can see how much money they would have to pay to get this. That's pretty good. And, uh, sure enough, everybody got excited and took pictures of a free vending machine at, at Lee's Air. And uh, it's stuff like that that we had to spend a lot of time trying to develop and get in front of guys to make sure that we had them stick around and, and have them be happy. You've been leading a company since you said about 2011, 2012. What is the biggest difference that you've seen in how leadership needs to be changed today versus even just, you know, a short seven, eight years ago? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I was talking, I started realizing if we're going to get these people to do what we need them to do, one, we've got to get our goals aligned. We've got to get on the same page. They've got to feel like a team. 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, you came in, you were happy to have a job in many cases that paid well, and you're stoked to work somewhere. Uh, that's just, it's just not the case anymore. And I remember explaining that, you know, man, we've got to make these people feel included and all that stuff. And I was sitting at a conference and this guy leans over to me and I just got done speaking. And he says, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm running an air conditioning shop. I'm not running an after school program. You know, I don't need to sit here and make these, it's not my job to make these people feel all warm and fuzzy and basically start making comments about millennials and all this other stuff. Of course, said, the, the go-to, yeah. the go-to blame. Yeah. And I just looked at him. I said, Hey, how many people do you know of that are in their fifties and sixties right now and are looking to make a career change and get into this industry? He said, none. I said, how many millennials do you think are coming in this industry? He said a lot. He said, so, okay, if, if you don't want to run an after school program, maybe you should start thinking about why, why you're not. <laughs> like, right. Um, and why you're not offering these things that keep those. If, if this is your market, it's no different than advertising and air conditioning and, and setting up, you know, Hey, this is our target market. If, if my target market is age 30 to 65 with a disposable income above $100,000 a year with home ownership, then that's what I'm going to target with my marketing. Well, think about who you're marketing to with your employees and what you need them to do and, and figure out what drives them and, and do the same. You know, Get that going and quit worrying about what was in the past and Oh, the good old days when you could just write a paycheck. It's it, those good old days are gone. Mm -hmm. So let's move on and start working on the things that we have. What we found with those tactics are okay. We put a program together where we do profit sharing, and if we hit this profitability, then this is the amount of money you're going to get paid at the end of the year as a bonus. We did a lot of performance-based pay incentive programs. California is kind of tough on that, so we couldn't go to straight performance pay. You can; it's just very difficult. So we had to start looking at hourly programs plus incentives for selling various things, upgrading, whatever, and basically try to align those together and then try to make them feel like they control their own paycheck, try to make them feel like they're part of a team. We do a lot of team events where our team got big enough that we couldn't do just one team event together. We had to say, okay, if you hit your goals in your department, let's say it's commercial service, residential service, install, dispatch, CSR, whatever, 
then your team has a allotted amount of money to figure out what you're going to do and let your team do it. So the install department, they like doing paintballing and the uh, service department, they wanted to go uh, go-kart racing and whatever it is. Those are the incentives we start getting to try to drive them into doing what we needed them to do and letting them feel like they owned it and felt like they, they could make a change. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, like you said, everybody wants to blame the younger generation. Every generation up wants to blame the one behind them, the one behind them, the one behind them. But if you don't cater to how this new generation is coming in and, you know, is going to be performing in your business and how they're perceiving you as a leader, whether it be an owner, a GM, a service manager, an install manager, whatever you are as a leader, then you're going to lose your message with them really quick. And, you know, I think that's great what you were talking about there, giving each individual group kind of their own the control of their own bonuses if you will and their own ideas like not saying oh well if you get this we're gonna go and we're gonna we're gonna go golfing you know you don't gotta you don't have a lot of kids that are in the the install side of things that want to go golfing they want to do this so that's a really cool way to really structure it so they're in control of their own really of their own destiny now we talk about different generations and how we communicate and how it's different than it used to be. You know, there used to be, you'd go into a meeting, you'd drill information into people for two hours, and then you would say, all right, be on your way. There are plenty of studies out there that say that's a terrible way to communicate with people in general, let alone, you know, the younger audience that you're going towards with your new employees that are coming in. What's the most effective way that you found to communicate with your workforce to make sure your message isn't lost? You know, it's not one in one ear out the other. You know, I, I've talked about this a lot with some people. And, and one of the things that I found is that I always had business owners tell me like, oh my gosh, you know, they just don't think like I do and they don't understand. And I just told them we lost $50,000 last month and their eyes just glaze over. Like they don't even know what that means. And like, they just make dumb decisions all the time. They don't think like a business owner and they don't act like a business owner. And I kind of looked at one guy that was talking like that once. And I said, you know what, do, do they know what, you know, do you show them your financials? Do you show them, do they understand what revenue is? They understand what cost of sale, gross margin, overhead or net profit is. Well, no, they're technicians. Well, I didn't ask you if they're technicians or not. I asked if you know, if, if, if they know that stuff, have you trained them on it? Well, no, it's like, okay, so you give them technical training and you give them sometimes sales training, but you didn't give them any business training. Well, no. And now you're surprised when they don't act like a business owner or think like a business owner. And you're surprised when you go into a meeting and tell your guys that you just lost $50,000 the month before and that you've got to make changes and, and their, their eyes are glazed over. Well, well, what do you expect? Like, it's so foreign to them. They don't even know what you're talking about. They're like, we still got paychecks. What? What is this $50,000 right. thing you're talking about? So I think one of the things is for clear communication is to get the same vocabulary and get on the same page first so that when you need to have that communication in the future that you're there. So we spent a lot of time. We did financial training once a year. Every guy in the company from the guy that swept the warehouse floor to the president of the company had to know what revenue, cost of sale, gross margin, overhead, net profit is. Just those five things, nothing super complex but if you knew those five things you could pretty much you know figure things out we didn't really teach them net profit we taught them ebitda but for their purposes it was net profit i didn't, right. didn't want to get too complicated we did leadership training 
for you know most of the team. We also did um, required lean management training that basically required the team to go through what people in manufacturing call Kaizen events and things like that and teach them how to calculate out savings for a company and how to figure out how to make things more efficient. I had a technician after taking that training, he calculated out that if we moved the dumpster from one side of the parking lot to the other, we'd save $20,000 a year. Wow. And he showed me the calc and I was just blown away. I was like, man, he's right. Like our trucks park on this side of the parking lot and then they walk across the parking lot and dump out the trash. He timed how long it took and he, and he figured out how many guys we had and how many times a day they do it. They did like 1.6 garbage trips per day because they come in and some guys have to only dump once and some guys have to take two trips to the dumpster. They have a bunch of trash. And I was like blown away, 20 grand. And it's because a technician was trained on how to think of that. He was trained on financials, so he knew the financial impact. He was trained on leadership. He took initiative and he did it. I think key to all communication is getting on that same page first. After that, they'll communicate back and forth to you. You'll be able to talk about stuff in meetings that makes sense to them. They'll be able to make decisions that make sense. And you start getting on that same page. That doesn't mean you're not going to have disagreements with your technicians. That doesn't mean you're not going to fire people. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems from time to time. But it does get you to that next level. For me, that's the biggest thing with my guys is making sure that I train them on the stuff that I know, at least the basics of it. So we have a similar vocabulary. Yeah. And really treating it like you're not the almighty king, you know, you're not the only person who has input into this business, treating your employees that are in your business or that work underneath you as part of your business and part of your day to day. It's really like you, that example is really like a a shining example of what you look for as a leader is the folks who work for you, bringing ideas to you that are going to help business and help you grow. That's, you know, probably the best example I think I've ever heard on one of these and just making sure that, you know, you're open, honest, and communicating with folks. And like you said, it's not like you're never going to have a, a disagreement with your techs or with your install team or even with managers. But, you know, being able to have those open conversations and take their input is is huge. It's helped us a ton. I appreciate it. Now, when you look at how to become a more effective leader, right, there are a lot of different ways that people can convey leadership, but... Being able to communicate with your team, like you've said here, is really the number one way if you look at it from all sorts of studies and from just about every owner or manager you talk to. Being able to communicate with your team is the most helpful thing to do. How can different technologies and automations as a manager allow you to be a more effective leader by giving you more time with your team? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things to that. I think that we as leaders get a little sideways with our employees when we when we're insecure ourselves and i think what happens is when we don't have all the information we need and we don't have you know that data and then all of a sudden we get sideswiped with a pnl that basically shows we lost a bunch of money all of a sudden your face gets red you're you're you know frustrated you're not making good decisions (laughs) as a leader technology for me that was a big thing for us is we decided, Hey, if we really want to make money and we want to go forward, we, we'd sat down, we had these lean management trainings, how can we smooth this out um, and make things faster? We realized, and, and since everyone knew what overhead was, 
we looked our overhead at the time was 42% of our revenue. So after we paid for all the equipment materials and, you know, everything, let's say our gross margin was 50% and then 42 percentage points below that was overhead. That leaves 8% for profit. And we thought if we want to be higher than that, and in many cases we were down to like 6%, I think our lowest year was 6%. It's just 6% is not enough to get up in the morning and make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. So we realized we've got to cut this overhead and cutting overhead isn't as simple as, well, let's, let's just go fire somebody in the office. I mean, that, that's great. Everyone wants to do that, right? But you got office staff, you've got rent, you got everything else. And we realized if we could automate our business processes, in many cases, you know, we decided we need to do it with software. At the time we didn't have the software we needed. So we did, we went over to service type. We cut our overhead from 42 points down to 23. So you can imagine when you're talking about 19 percentage points of cuts and it's not, we ended up not even having to cut many office staff. We just, we grew in one year, we went from 5 million to 9.4 million in one year. And as far as office staff went, we added one office person. Wow. Because everything was automated. We went from, it took us, we tracked everything with a stopwatch. It took an install from the time it, got turned in by the sales guy till the time it was on the board ready to go out. It took 54 minutes. My install manager would have told me, he did tell me it took 15 minutes. When we actually timed it, it took 54 minutes. There's all kinds of stuff that we figured out, like the local Fresno, you know, permit office only took faxes. So he was faxing the thing in and then waiting for it to come out and all this stupid stuff. We had to call the, we did a lot of package units on rooftops. We had to call the crane company. We have to call the HERS rater that did duct pressure testing. We had to call the permit inspector, whatever. You just, you name it. We start realizing, hey, what if we just, instead of calling the crane company, what if we gave them access to our calendar and it's their job to figure out when they're supposed to be there? What if we had automated alerts that alerted our HERS rater that's in California required to duct pressure test everything for the permits? What if we had an alert that automatically told them that we have a job coming up and they need to schedule to get in? What if we had, you know, what if we get rid of this, fax machine thing and still make it look like it's coming into the fax at the city of fresno what if you know we start going through that stuff we went from 54 minutes down to nine minutes that's unbelievable and i i checked it two years later we're at nine and a half minutes so it's not like we fixed this to work for two weeks and just yelled at people to run faster we just made it more streamlined so that we could handle a lot more volume with a lot less people our overhead is has fluctuated between 23 and 27 percentage points year over year so it's not like we've gone back to where we used to be. And um, it's really allowed us to achieve profitability. It's allowed us, me as a leader, to be able to sit back and I can now see my company. I'm, I live in Southern California. My company is in Fresno, California, which is in the Central California area. I'm four hours away. I can see almost everything going on in my company day by day. I get text messages when installs sell. I get alerts if something's going wrong in my company. I can see my financials. You know. I can't imagine running a, a company remotely any other way. I, I, I've got to have that data and I've got to have that information. Yeah, it's really great information. And we want to thank Tom for coming on here and take some of his time out. Again, the VP of customer experience over at Service Titan and the owner of an HVAC company. So he's got a lot of plates up in the air and we're happy to have him on. We want to thank you all out there for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find us. Just search Taurus Talk. Follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. 
Use the hashtag Taurus Talk or follow along on our pages, SGTaurus, for all the major social media platforms. And as always, you can catch all of our podcasts right on our website, sgtaurus.com backslash podcasts. I want to thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Taurus Talk.